Hey friends, welcome to Conversations with Kenzie, a podcast hosted by yours truly, Kenzie Brenna. No topic goes unturned here. We talk about everything with everyone. We like to get raw and sometimes we get heavy and sometimes we swear. So I'm warning you now. Also, we are working remotely. So audio quality between host and guest may differ. Lastly, check out our show notes for giveaways, fun promotions, or discounts to our favorite stuff. Enjoy the show. Hi, Sarah. Hi. How are you doing today? I mean, every day is different. Today, I'm going to rate as a relatively good day. (laughs) What makes it a good day in your house? Honestly, it's so bizarre, but like mentally, I'm so up and down. Like when we talk about unstable people, it sounds like such a negative thing, but I'm somebody who feels the swings of both all the time. So it's either very, very good or it's very, very bad. And so when I'm in the swing of good, it, I'm, it's like I can hear butterflies flapping their wings around me. Like I'm so majestic. And when it's bad, there might as well be storm clouds like looming over me. So today was one of those days I didn't expect to be very great because I had back to back phone calls. The first one being with my lawyer, just not fun stuff. So I was really anticipating it not being all that great. And as things go as being an adult, the more you step through things, you realize they're never as bad as you expected them to be. So I feel like I just kind of got and somebody canceled a phone call, which was also lovely. And I exercised this afternoon and I and I just have had one of those days where I'm like, it's I didn't anticipate it to be good. So therefore, it feels really good. And so much productivity with all of the adulting. You're just like checking it off your list. And even though that it sucks, it does feel so good once it's over. Oh, my gosh. Yes, this is this is a huge like before the quarantine happened, I really started doing this whole gold star thing. And you and I talked about this a little bit, but it stemmed from this one man, everyday girl dad who did a post talking about how he made an appointment at the dentist. And while that's not a big deal for very many, it took him about 15 years to get the courage to do so. And I realized that, you know, everyday things were just letting pass by without validating the the hugeness of them. And I wanted to start really celebrating some of the small things that were actually really big for me. And my husband would kind of laugh at me because I'd be like, I filled up the car with gas today before it was on empty. And he's like, "Okay." And I'm like, and I went to the bank and he's like, "Okay." And I'm like, you don't get it. Like, these are big deals for me. These these adult things really, really overwhelm me very quickly. And other things don't like I can be a little flighty with the rest of life, but certain things can really bother me. Like I'll go to a doctor for a pap test. Usually no problem. Things like that don't hiccup me, but go to the bank. I feel like I'm or parent teacher interviews um, make me feel like I'm an inch tall. And I don't know what it is. It's like that constant feeling like I'm never going to be adult enough. So going through and stepping through those things. So now bring that into the quarantine. It's been finding those little motivators. And now we don't really have this like excuse to not do them because everything's accessible online everything's able to do it at home that I'm really having to like yeah like doing a zoom call with your lawyer is not ideal but it actually created this like safe separation where I was like okay I'm done now bye (laughs) like sign off like no awkward goodbyes like no lawyer office and driving there and all that so there's a lot that's really been I'm I'm using as the highlights to these days I wonder what the psychology is behind all of those small but really responsible tasks that we have to continually get done in our day-to-day lives that makes them feel so overwhelming because it is really important that we go to the bank. It is really important that we fill up the gas in in our car. It's really important that we get on the phone with our lawyer or whoever it is. And And like you're saying it, and I'm like, I know that those things are so small. And yet I too Mm -hmm. feel like when I do them, I'm like, I'm accomplished. I'm the queen of the world. I did it. And that the, the gold star movement that you have going on is so, so incredible for that reason is because these small tasks somehow make a really big impact on us. And I think that one of the messages that, you know, that you talk about so often on your platform that the community itself talks about so often is like, don't underestimate the small actions and to have those really large impacts. Um, But before we dive too far into that, you're such an eloquent speaker and I could literally just, we could just go off right now, but I just want to give the, you know, the few listeners who may not know who you are, just a bit of your backstory. 
For sure. So let me just give you the condensed version of it. So about 12 years ago, 11, 12 years ago, I was a stay-at-home mom of two little girls, nicknames Gemma Birdie and Maya Papaya. So I, back then, I discovered blogs. And when you found blogs, it was like, you have to remember where we were in technology those days. It was this weird connection between like mostly women in Utah who were like home crafters and moms and like doing all. And I just suddenly felt this feeling of, oh my gosh, there's other women who are doing things that I'm doing. And just because nobody in my relational world is doing it doesn't mean that I am alone. And I felt such a, such a large amount of human connection and really decided that I too wanted to contribute to that space. And I started a blog called The Birds Papaya, and it was so atrocious. Like, I mean, I had the worst writing. My photo qualities were horrible, but I was doing it. And and I showed up, and I didn't realize that what I was doing that whole time wasn't making amazing blogs. It was making amazing human connections. And so as social media kind of evolved, suddenly all of us hop skipped over to Instagram. And now we had these everyday photos. It took what was in blogs that we waited for at the end of the week to see somebody's family updates of what they did that week. It brought it into these everyday moments. And I was like hyper into it because I'm such a visual person. And I really, really loved it. But I did notice that it was starting to put a little bit more pressure on me myself being in it, not so much like the arts and crafts around my home or my kids. And in a process of a few different things, I ended up moving home um, back to my hometown after having now a third child. And I went from, you know, I had gained weight, obviously, with children, but I'd been overweight my whole life. So I don't know what it was in those moments, but somehow moving home, coming away from being anonymous in a different city, I very much saw my weight and felt my weight for the first time as the biggest burden in the world. And the thing that I was going to be so hyper aware of that I was going to rid myself of it. And when I saw these other women doing it online, it felt so inspiring and so empowering. And I was like, this is going to be my story. And I did it very, very privately. So I never intended to be a weight loss account. I never really saw that for myself. I still was just learning to kind of see myself online. And so and I took a lot of selfies in those days. I mean, I loved all those blue filters. Oh, they were something else. But I also identify now that the reason I was taking so many selfies in those days was because while I was doing this weight loss journey, it was really a discovery of finding myself within the core of all that. There were still some things that were inherently good about that process. But doing it online around the 40 pound mark, people really started to notice Not only that, but the praise was so validating that it was like, oh, I can, this can be a thing. And I remember posting my first before and after and just people were so happy for me. And I felt like I really found a voice in this space and I felt so validated. Once again, not realizing that it wasn't that I was looking so much better. It was that once again, I found another way to connect with humans. So after I had now lost 100 pounds, my Instagram was only about weight loss because it was so driven by body performance and just succeeding and wanting other women to feel what that success was like and being able to do it without access to a gym, without access to gym clothes, without the money for programs, like you do it for free with food at home. Problem with that is without access and education, I didn't actually have the ability to work out safely. I actually had really great home workouts. I never injured myself, but that's a lucky thing. And I also, um, all I had access to education-wise around nutrition was downloading an app that told me how many calories a day to eat, which was a dangerously low amount now that I know that. I didn't at the time. So I lost 100 pounds and I remember quite distinctly looking in the mirror and realizing that there wasn't much more to go and how it was how was I going to keep showing up as a success story when my body is now all of my success how do you continue on a path when there is nowhere else to go and I was really really struggling with that and with the fact that I had to really face that I wasn't really eating I was over-exercising. I had so much fear around food and around gaining weight. I had a lot of judgmental thinking around other people's habits and life choices. And and I had more anxiety and self-hate towards my body than I did when I was 225 pounds. And and that's a really, really difficult reality. And, And 
to know that you have potentially been perpetuating a message that was harmful. So I was really facing a lot of stuff. And, and at the same time, I was going through a personal um, life stuff where I went through a divorce and I ended up losing. I ended up moving home with mom and dad with my three kids and I lost an additional 10 pounds. So now I'm 114 pounds in a size zero and nobody knew that I was going through divorce. And all anybody was saying to me was, oh, my gosh, congratulations. Like you have never looked better. And what a wake up call. To, to realize that nobody had any idea what was really going on, the stress that I'd been under, how little I was eating. And just because I was thin, I must be doing something right and successful and well. And I had to face gaining weight for the first time. And uh, you're a huge part of my story. You know this, but you had you had shown up on my Explore feed quite a few times. And I just rejected everything you were saying because it was exactly opposite from what I wanted to hear which was the safety within my body. And um, and it was really, really uncomfortable. But at some point I did follow you and and I started following other women like you and women who weren't asking me to change my body continuously, but asking me to honor it through change. And And I felt safe and I felt empowered. And I started sharing these parts of myself that were so scary and so vulnerable. And through the process ended up being an underwear model, which was so twisted and wild and got to experience what it was to witness how other people saw you when they saw the things that you were so ashamed of. And it brought me back to that core thing that happened 12 years ago that I didn't realize was my true power and not, um, it wasn't in my body. It wasn't in my crafts or my writing and all that. It was human connection and I needed to, I needed it. And I think that so many of us needed it. And coming from, I think, I think what I love about both of us is that we both have experienced the other side of having our bodies be on a performance track into our bodies being so secondary, but yet such a tool. And uh, so, you know, a couple of years ago, I really started to pivot and I lost a lot of followers and, but I really grew in my voice and I grew so much happier, so much more inner peace. And, and I built upon so many more um, real narratives, real stuff, real grit in life and, and quite enjoyed that. And uh, so did my audience and, and so did my community. And so did many other women with much bigger platforms than I. And they continue to perpetuate my story. And uh, I'm so blessed with it, like quite an incredible community. So many stellar friendships it's a it's a bizarre world in social media, to, especially when you grow rapidly because some people will hate you for it and some people will cling to you because of it. And the friendships who have truly been in the beginning and through, I cherish like they're my sisters because I know that they don't validate me based on who I am and what I what I show for it, but more, I guess, I guess who I am, but like more, they don't validate me by those numbers for sure such a good backstory. Like you're saying that and I'm like in the ride with you, like, you know, blogging, sharing your life online like that, going through the divorce, moving back in with your parents. And there was a time in my earlier 20s where in my earlier 20s, in my early 20s, um, (laughs) where I had I moved back in with my mom and um, her partner. And I remember feeling so much shame about moving home. And now I'm like, I so own that part of my story and I have like a new philosophy around like kids leaving home and like Mm -hmm. the stigma that comes with like needing family at certain Mm -hmm. times. Like why is there ever any shame in that? But anyways, I just felt like along for the ride and then, you know, you going through your weight loss journey and going through that like publicly and then transforming, doing like a whole 180 and then talking about embracing yourself, loving yourself, like and continuing on that path, I think is just, it's so, it's so cool. And I'm so grateful that you're here. And, um, for those of you who are listening, Sarah and I met, um, about, a over a year ago, a year and a half ago, maybe or a mm-hmm. year and four months around Something like that. Yeah. Um, and I remember that you were so like, like a friend that I had always had, like mm. meeting you was just like the most chill thing ever. Like you're exactly who you appear online, if not more friendly, if not more warm, if not like all of the stuff that you see online, it's just like exaggerated in person. Like you're such a kind and incredible human being. And it's really nice that Instagram brought us together and that like, I just kept pushing on your explore feed because I feel like the world has just gained so much goodness from your work and from your story and all of that. And I'm so thankful that 
Instagram like connects like humans and it's like truly like the platform for that. And when you were talking about your story, you kept bringing up this like one thing, human connection. And I think that so many of us in a weight loss journey, we secretly know that we don't actually care. We don't actually care if we lose the weight. Like, okay, for sure. Like clothing just objectively is easier when you live in a thin body. That's like thin privilege 101 for sure. For sure. the weight loss aspect of it is really the social validation. Like Mm. the weight loss community has so much social validation. Like it's such an acceptable thing to do and it feels so good. It like taps into like all of your, you know, your neural hardwiring, like Mm -hmm. the positives, the high fives, like all of that stuff feels so good. And then when you start getting it from like, you know, really just embracing yourself and just like, like being a community builder instead of being on the weight loss journey, not to shame anybody who is on a weight loss journey, because like every journey has value in and of itself. It's, it's just, it's different. It's, there's something very holistic. It is. And, and I think that that's such an important thing to touch on is so many people are on so many different journeys and we can't really hold them up to each other. And I had this conversation with my sister not long ago, she was we were kind of having the discussion of why is it why are some people so okay and why are some people so not? And and it hit me and I did a post about this afterwards just around the fact that you know, if, I, if for many people if they were to have alcohol regularly, it might become a habit, it might go down a dangerous path. And we know this and we know the risk factors around it because there's so much labeling about it, so much labeling around safety on those things. And then when it comes to dieting and weight loss as a whole, there's not a lot of information around that. There's not a lot of risk factor involved. The stats around it are truly staggering that a third, a third of people who go into those types of journeys will actually experience a really negative outcome. And not only that, but if it's a diet itself, not just a weight loss journey, but a diet itself, it does have a 95% failure rate. So it, it, you can't really compare notes on how everyone, will, some people will go through a weight loss experience and will come out the other side and just continue on their lives. And it won't be quite what it is for a large amount of us, which is that really, really awful and and uh, difficult time afterwards in disordered eating or potentially a full-blown eating disorder. And so there's a lot of us that the reason I feel for me, the reason that I do bring it up is because if there's not going to be risk factors involved, who are going to be able to speak except for those who have lived on both ends of the spectrum? I've lived at a higher weight, I've lived in a plus size body, and I've lived in an underweight body. And the and I can speak to both ends of it and where that happiness truly lies. And it didn't lie on either side of it. It, it lied something really away from all of it. And and that's a really, really, it's a really, really difficult swing of the pendulum to push back on something that we've been told our entire lives. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you're validating everyone's journey and that you, you know, it's because we both of you, like both of us, we have been in that weight loss community where we have, it's funny, I I um, chatted with Megan, um, Body Posse Panda on here, yes. and I told her that the reason why I started following her was because I hate followed her. Like I, like I, I oh followed her and I was like, she's like so beautiful and she lives in a body that, you know, I wish that I could embrace. And, but, but everything she was saying was so counterintuitive to what I believed in and so opposite of what I preached. Like I was all about weight loss and stuff. And so I hate followed her and she would say like, love your body. And I'd be like, yeah, love your body. If, if, even if you're unhealthy, like that doesn't make any sense. And I was taking it in such a simplistic, like mm. in such a simplistic way. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until like, I, for some reason, I just kept following her. Like for some reason, I just kept coming back to the message over and over and over again. And like, maybe I drank the Kool-Aid, but like, it's really tasty Kool-Aid and like, it's, it's real never tasty. Left and it's such an interesting challenge for us when we see somebody mostly in a bigger body, when we see them, okay, let's take Lizzo, for instance, because she is such a strong example of this because people love Lizzo. We celebrate Lizzo. She is like iconic. But how many women would be willing to say, I will step into her body? That will be the body that I will wear for the rest of time because we're still struggling with this internal little voice that says, but bigger will be harder. 
and bigger will be this and bigger will be that because we know, we know it's, and there's two different ends. And we've had this conversation. You were the first one that ever brought up body positivity as a human rights thing more than a conversation. And there's two different streams of it and important to, to define between the self-esteem part of it and the one where there's women in any shape and size of body who will struggle with self-esteem. That is a huge, huge component of us as human beings. And then there's the other side of it that is actually a human rights issue, asking for more access and fair access to um, healthcare and so much more travel. There are so many layers to it. And but I mean, I can totally get what you're saying because there's a lot of women I follow and I'm still and I'm openly admitting this because it's not something that I think we can just lie to ourselves about. I still struggle with, would I be willing to step into a larger body? People ask me it all the time. Would you go back to the 225 pound self? And I was like, I'm just not her anymore. So it's hard for me to mentally put myself in her body because we're not the same person anymore. But how much fat phobia is is in that and how much societal exception or like desire to be accepted is still within that. And and letting myself kind of journey through those feelings. And I remember you and I sat down one time and we had a lunch together and we were talking about this like need to be liked. And I remember you told me about like how historic it is for us to want to be liked. And, you know, back in I don't know what era, if we didn't have people, we died. Yes. That's always stuck with me because I'm like, we we have these things we do and we don't always know why we do them. And and I don't know why I needed to lose weight so badly. And I'm not mad that I did because I think it made me who I am now. And I think that I can't dishonor anybody else's journey going through the same. I can just support them through it, knowing that there might be another side. And but at the end of the day, there is something that makes us want to be loved by others. And there is an okayness to that as long as and there's also a lot to unpack with that, I think. Yeah, good way to put it. I definitely think that there's like this like unofficial uh, little like mind game that you can play with people and it's unofficially called the pie slice theorem. And it's basically like, imagine that our bodies were pie slices and our pie slices were cut differently. And if you weren't willing to trade your pie slice for someone else's pie slice, then there's inequality. So if someone is born darker skin or with a disability or with a sexual orientation that isn't up to society's standards or lives in a body that is larger than what our standards are, would you trade for their pie? And it's like a lot and everyone usually says no. And I I oftentimes think about that where I'm like, that's not fair though, because they would in a, like a lot of people in a second would, would trade places with other people for the benefits of what they're getting rather than somebody, you know, I just think that when it comes to living in larger bodies, I think that they're, it's never about health. When we think of them, it's never, it's, it's health is always secondary. It's always like, I don't want to be in that body because I don't want to deal with the social shame that comes with it. And, and as somebody who, again, like I've gone on like all sides of the spectrum for sure, but some I'm, I'm living in a larger body now, I can like definitely tell you that like socially things are much easier when you're thinner. And it's like, I fight for the, the social acceptance. I'm like, screw health. Like I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't care about people's health. I want them in the best health possible, of course. And I want to be able to help facilitate the best health possible, but I don't know what that means for every single individual on the planet. So it's not my business. What I want is I want to make a place where people can just exist and not be socially stigmatized. So I, I think that it's really good that we have these conversations in our little circles, in our larger circles, because when we think of our former selves and we think of ourselves in larger bodies or smaller bodies, it just comes with so much social context. And I think that bringing that stuff up just brings more of a holistic, more complex picture of ourselves and you can't ever reduce it down. But before we go really far on the weight loss, weight gain conversation, I'm actually curious about your experience with divorce. And I know that that's like a 180 from what we're talking about right now, um, but- 
I love a good 180. Um, So I'm a child of divorce and I'm a child of a few divorces and none of them were great. I'm not ever going to think that like a divorce will ever be great for a family. Mm -hmm. But I'm really curious when you were going through, because you're just, you're such a mama bear, like, you know, online, like we just, we see you with your amazing kids and I see like how like protective and loving you are with them. And I see like the joy in their faces when they're with you. And it just makes my heart so happy. And so when you were going through the divorce, what was something that you made sure that your kids, that, that you did that to have your kids transition smoothly through that? Because I'm sure that it wasn't smooth behind the scenes. I'm sure that there was like, you know, like a lot of heartbreak, a lot yeah. of turmoil, but yeah. I'm curious, like, how did you try to manage that with your kids? Well, this is, I think the the bigger piece here and why divorce was actually a positive experience for us is that who I was and to give the best, I might cry, the best description of who I was before, um, I would be reduced to tears probably daily sitting on the kitchen floor and trying to be a mom. That's not being a parent. And that wasn't, I wasn't present for them. I was there, but I was not present. I was slipping away very, very rapidly trying to hold this family together. I was falling on the sword for the sake of them, so I thought. So when I left, and it took a long time to make that decision, when I left and I moved in with my parents, that was the right move because my parents were, my parents in their home was actually a core place for our family. It's where we visited when we when we lived far away. It's where we went for Sunday night dinners. It was a very familiar and safe space for the kids. And their biggest fear, and it was it was really important. We just I didn't I didn't like tiptoe around it. We went straight on. I picked them up and I was like, this just happened. And of course, they immediately burst into tears. My daughter's best friend had just had her parents go through a divorce four months earlier, which ended up being really powerful for the two of them because it really like made them go through this together. Um but immediately my mom kind of she helped astronomically and, and and kind of relieved that that fear that all the kids had, which, which meant that one parent was going to be gone. And so as soon as we alleviated that fear that both of us were going to be here and present, um, this was just going to look different. They started to really, we had a couple of weeks before we ever had to share custody. So we got to like kind of come into these new norms and kids are so, they can hide a lot, but they can also adapt a lot. So they adapted very quickly to us kind of being all over the place. And I think that what was happening and what I was having open conversations with them. So I do know how they were feeling at the time. There was a lot of relief to the fact that slowly but surely mom wasn't crying on the kitchen floor every day anymore because mom actually was doing things to change that. And so I remember one day I was walking with my son uh, we were just get, getting the mail and and he kind of like held my hand. And and I remember he I don't know what he said that triggered it. And I said, are you happy that I got a divorce? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, OK. And he's like, well, you don't cry anymore. And I was like, that's true. And he's like, yeah. And like bad stuff just doesn't happen anymore. And I was like, that's true. He's like, I don't like going back and forth. And I was like, nope, I wouldn't like that either if I were you. And he's like, but he's like, I don't know. Everyone just seems happier. And and it was such an honest answer because it was that. It was just a really hard thing to say, like divorce actually brought that for us. But it made me a different parent. I have, a, I have such a, it's strange because it forces your relationship with your children into a different place where we have to be intentional with each other when we're apart. And uh, that looks really different. And when we come home and we're back together, there's still like it can be easy to go like 150 percent into being a parent. And I still have to remind myself those boundaries of me and them and still being an individual with children. And so we continue to kind of like learn through those things. But ultimately, I came out a better person from that experience. And because I'm more fulfilled as a human being, I feel like we just came out the other side so much better for it. They have an incredible stepdad. So many things that wouldn't have happened if we didn't go through those things. And uh, while there are still hardships, I feel like instead of trying to be a mom at a 20% capacity, I now get to be a mom at 100% capacity just half the time, but still more than just that that little bit all the time that I could give them. So 
Divorce is one of the hardest things. And I think that I did not grow up as a child of divorce. It was not something familiar to me and my family whatsoever. But one person said something to me that really changed my heart on it, which was nobody gets divorced if they don't have to. And it was it was such a true statement because it is actually a lot of work to get a divorce. There's a lot there's a lot of work involved in in that whole process, emotionally, financially, like physically, like there's a lot that goes on in the process. So when you watch somebody going through a divorce, don't ask questions like that's nobody. I can't believe it's been so many years. And if you Google my name, that's the first thing like people wonder about why did she get divorced? And it's still an answer that I hold so close. So many, uh, obviously, like people like, you know, but um, I have children involved. There's there's not going to be a chance that I'm going to tell that story. But the the fact is that we look at divorce like such a car crash where we see it. We rubberneck. Everyone is all eyes on this trauma that is happening. But we're not actually paying attention to we're, we're looking at it from the angle of who caused this crash. How did this happen? How did we get to this point? We never saw what was happening in the car beforehand. And we don't really care about them afterwards. And that's what I feel really needs to change in the realm of divorce because nobody ever talks about it unless it's right in the thick of it. No, And we want context as to why. We put pressure on people to make a marriage work in the sense of um, we, we stop humanizing them and we start to value the marriage more than we value them as individual humans. And individual humans don't go through divorce unless they have to or it's chosen for them. So I went from being a very judgmental person, I will openly say, very judgmental around divorce, really thought that it was something that would never enter my dialogue. It would not be a part of my life. If I was getting married, I would not be divorced. And now I have open conversation. And and I, I like knowing that divorce is an option. I like knowing that my partnerships are actually chosen every single day that my husband and I now, we choose each other every single day because we both know he's also from, he's also been divorced and we both know that divorce is an option and it is something that could happen. And what an honor it is that we, we stay and we choose each other every single day. And it's brought a lot of joy and relief to the relationship as opposed to how I felt before, which was trapped and scared and alone in a relationship, feeling like divorce was not an option. So I think it's actually a really healthy thing to talk about. And I also think that um, it's really, I have friends who, like you, had parents go through it and and didn't cope with it very well. And it, it really brings you home to that human experience of what were they going through that caused them to have so much pain. I don't think I was the best mother at the time that I was going through divorce. I think I just had a really good mother help me mother during that. Yeah, for sure. What advice do you have for women who, or, or people, anyone who's listening to the podcast right now, who is currently going through a divorce? Um, don't go for big picture thinking. I know that sounds really counteractive to what a lot of people might say, but it can be really, really overwhelming because when you go big picture, all you see is the little things. It feels very overwhelming to go from, well, what about the house? And what about a lawyer? And, and what about the finances? And what about a car? And what about this and our jobs and the kids and their schedule and the custody? And oh my gosh, it feels like a lot. Day by day, do one thing, like break it down by task by task. And suddenly it's not such a big, overwhelming experience. And it actually gets to be to the other side as opposed to trying to not do anything at all, which just perpetuates the same stuff over and over and over again, instead of actively pursuing change and and just going through it. Because big picture stuff is so unfigured out. None of my life now is something that I could have imagined I just knew, I don't know why, I just had a strange piece about making that choice. And it it was three years since I actually said the words to when I actually stepped out the door. And I think people need to realize that too, is like when we talk about these car crashes, we don't know how much has been going on before that crash actually happened. And for me, it was quite some time and about three years of intensity in that time and saying the words that I, you know, I wanted a divorce And uh, so I really think that we, the reason it took me so long was because I went to big picture thinking and really had to break it down to smaller steps, knowing that I didn't know it all. I was never going to have it figured all out. And I'm glad that I didn't because then I got to figure it out and I got, and, and things you don't realize when your life and, and I don't care what you believe in or where, where your, um, faith lies in terms of anything in life. But there's a certain part of the human experience that I think we can all agree on is when you're not clicking in life, you will be forcefully fighting life. 
it's like trying to drive a train off the tracks. It doesn't really work. And so for me, and I, and I think that this is, it's not luck. It's not luck that things like this happen when you're not living authentically to what you're supposed to be doing or what is true for you. It is, it is really, really hard. You're forcefully pushing something down a really wrong path and it makes it a lot harder. It's not that it's undoable. It just makes it really, really, really difficult. As soon as I left, and this is like, it's, it gives me chills to this day, the amount of things that clicked into place for me almost immediately. Like I went from being, I don't know what I'm going to do about a car. When I moved in with my parents, my dad actually ended up being called to work in Singapore overseas for months. So suddenly my parents had an extra car living at their house. Now I have a car. I had a job. I was working as a server, but I definitely needed a day job and I'm looking everywhere and I've got no experience. Suddenly I'm sitting at a coffee shop with my ex-husband who's asking me to go away on a couple's recovery retreat in Colorado. And um, my phone rings and it's my old friend from high school, like so out of the blue friend from high school. And I look down at my phone and I see her name and I looked at him and I was like, I got to go. I got to take this. And I stepped outside and I took the call and it was it was my friend Jess saying, uh, Sarah, I'm about to have a baby. We didn't plan at this work. Um, I'm working at a publishing company and, you know, I've worked with you before. I worked at a pharmacy before and at Baskin Robbins when we were teenagers. And she was like, I know you're a great employee. We don't really have time to like go through the interview process. Would you come in and just do an interview like tomorrow? And I was like, OK. And I went in the next day. And I got the job. I remember like sitting in the interview being like, I don't, I never went to school. And the CEO being like, neither did I. And I was like, I've been a stay-at-home mom for like 10 years. And he's like, that's job experience. Like they were convincing me of the job more than anything. So within two weeks, when I had manifested all the things that could possibly go wrong, I didn't allow myself to even conceive the things that could go right. That whatever universal things that happened within two weeks clicked into place, and within two weeks, basically, my life was on an entirely new track and one that would not just be easy, but would feel right. And and it was like I had a lot of guilt about it because it felt it was like survivor's guilt. Like, how could this be happening for me? I don't understand why so much good continues to come out of this. But um I think it was life clicking into place. I think I needed to be doing something. I think I was meant to be doing a lot of the things that I'm doing now. And all of those things weren't possible unless I made those moves. So big picture is real scary, brings about a lot of fears and mm-hmm. small steps lead to big pictures anyhow. So you might as well just do the small steps. That was a long, that was a long ass answer. I'm so sorry. No, it's good. I'm actually going to connect it to what we were talking about at the beginning. All mm. of the small stuff. It's yes. all of the small stuff. It's like the small gold star stuff. It like, is. screw the big stuff. I mean, the big stuff will come, but it's the small stuff that allows the big stuff to flourish and allows the big stuff to come to you. And so it sounds like focus on the small stuff, like focus on like your day to day stuff and follow your damn heart. Like, yes. what is your heart saying? And yes. I know that the heart pushes us in places that are so scary, oh, so scary. Yeah. So uncertain, so scary, like shaking to the bone, so scary. Have to move in with your parents, scary. Have mm-hmm. to go and, you know, have a mental breakdown, scary. Mm-hmm. And and I know that those things suck. And I've literally, literally have been there. But I cannot tell you how, how much I'd rather be there and be listening to my heart than be secure and be inauthentic. Like yes. I, I, and it's, I'm not perfect at that. I, mm-hmm. I still have to, I still have to listen. Like I yes. forget to listen to my heart sometimes yes. or I'll realize afterwards I haven't been listening to myself. I haven't been listening to my gut. I haven't been listening to my heart. So it sounds like if people are going through that experience and really any experience, it's like focus on the small stuff, reward yes. yourself. Like know that the bigger picture stuff is going to get taken care of when the small stuff gets taken care of and listen to yourself, like listen to your heart and like percent stuff, like stuff happens, stuff manifests. It does. And, and, you know, it's important for me to always remember that the, the feelings I felt in the days of having no car, no bank account, no job, no home, three kids and going through divorce was the happiest days, first days I'd experienced the happiest days of my life. I feel like they've they've layered upon those happy days. But if you can stand with nothing and be following your heart, it 
it is so meaningful and you just get it. You just get how much like I can't I can't believe like my old house was really adorable. And there was a huge part of me that was like, I'm just not ready to give up this cute house because I will stay in this marriage because of this cute house. Like that is a real, real thing that I went through because you have to mourn certain parts of it. And and there is so much that we're inherently materialistic about. But that's why like when we talk about the small stuff, if we can continue to validate ourselves, and this is something I've really struggled with and and I can and I know that you know parts of this, when you continue in a life online, especially and in 2019 with the growth that I had there's been a lot that's been a struggle in terms of not looking at my life as the peaks and the valleys because it is really easy to only see your life in the highlight reels and be like, oh, she did, like I, I was in the cover of a magazine. I was like, that's the highlight of my career, which is kind of unfortunate because then it only gives it a downhill motion. There's nothing after that. Like I don't want to validate my life anymore on those high points and on those big pictures Life is really, truly made up of the little things. And I always have to remind myself of, you know, what I I know people talk about this all the time, but like when we die, what is the things that we're going to think about and want near us? And it's never about those possessions. It's never about those things that that's that those struggles that we went through in order to make those decisions, that job change, that relationship change, whatever it may be, or like taking the risk on yourself to like start a podcast or write a book and you know, start to, or, or share a part of your body online that maybe feels important. Whatever it is, like imposter syndrome is so huge and so real. And it's a buzzword now, but it's, it's an identifiable thing for so many of us, but none of it really matters if at the end of our life, we're just so filled with regret. And I think that we will realize it near the end of life, that it is all the little things that matter. So if we can tap into and and I always love thinking about my 85-year-old self because I believe I will get there one day. But they've proven that like the most sexually active and like most body confident people are the elderly because they've just stopped giving a crap about the things that don't matter. And I'm like, how do I be my 85-year-old self? Like if it, what is, at that point you figure it out and I don't want to get to the end of life to figure it out. So really glad that I made the 180 shift in life. Really glad that I've continued to do that. I think we forget so often that we are the authors of our own stories and we're not writing the book for other people and it's okay to throw a plot twist. Good way to put it. Do you have some tips on discussing body image with your partner and um, how other people can, who are listening, who definitely struggle in that area with opening up to their partner about how they feel about their body, what their body means to them? What tips do you have for them? Well, I think we have to, there's like two different types of people, I think. And in terms of partners, there's the ones that are also stuck in the oppression of the female body or in bodies in general. And there's also the other side that truly mean what they say when they appreciate uh, the differences in a woman's body and really just want to be part of that intimacy. We've made, it's such an unfortunate thing. I've had this conversation before with um, the fact that we lack so much sex education now so that a lot of our partners are actually learning it. And this is going to affect more of the younger generation than it is ours. But it still remains a fact that porn culture has taught partners that sex looks a certain way. And it takes a certain mature individual to unlearn those things and understand that sex actually is a lot more about intimacy than it is about it looking and sounding right, because we don't get to see those things in pornography. So It took a, uh, it was interesting coming into a relationship with my now husband because I was the worst at this. I wore a t-shirt in the room for like two years and he was so respectful, didn't try and push boundaries. I wouldn't recommend that, but continued to always like, he never talked, he watched me gain weight and I never, he never made a comment about my body, only ever praised it so that I never really felt like my body was on for show for him, even if I had internalized that a little bit. But there were some rules around my body. And and I remember the biggest one being he was never allowed to touch my stomach, like absolutely not allowed to touch my stomach. And uh, and certain things like even for women, a lot of times we know and we can identify that like being on top feels better, but we don't do it because we're fearful of what that looks like for our partners. We all like, you know, we all have that like, oh, no. But 
when I break it down and what happened in those days is I, I remember it was actually not that long ago. It was maybe a year and a half ago where I was laying on my side and my husband accidentally, he went to like hug me from behind and he accidentally touched my stomach. And we both went like, <gasps> and like flinched. And then I, I just instinctively took his hand and I put it to my stomach, like to my core and very silently cried. He had no idea. He, when I retold the story, he's like, I don't even remember that. But it was huge for me because I let him hold me and I and I broke down so much fear that I was disgusting or unworthy or something to be ashamed of. All he wanted to do was hug me and all I wanted to do was be hugged. And so when we are in partnerships that are meaningful and intimate, we deserve that and they want that too. When we hold ourselves back, we're actually holding back both sides. And where men come in, where partners and men in general come into this conversation is when they understand how amazing intimacy is, sex gets better. Women are more willing, partners are more willing to be more experimental, enjoy sex more, get into it more when they feel more confident and empowered in that room. And that's on us to do that for our partners and to explore what that looks like very respectfully. And I mean, I'm still very new into that. That's still a relatively like I'm 35 and that's still a very new concept for me to be doing and discussing. And especially like, I don't know, it's it's been such a fun experiment to kind of go through and and push yourself and realize that every time that you even when you're scared and you just like take your shirt off and you go for it, everything feels so much better because when we take off that cloak of shame and be vulnerable with one another, there's a connection back to that human connection. It is so much deeper. Same with what it is in conversation. If you want to sit and have small talk with somebody, it can be great. But if you want to sit down and talk life with somebody, you'll come away feeling like a hu- a different human. And intimacy is so, so, so key there. So we have to like realize that touch and partnerships should be built on intimacy And that's not always just sex. And sometimes it is sex. Being touched when you don't want to be touched is such a chilling experience. It's so uncomfortable. And the only way out is through. Like what you're saying right now is like, you're not going to be able to be like, okay, I'm just going to skip that part and go to the part of intimacy. I'm just going to go and, you know, I'm not going to let them touch me or I'm not going to let them like see me in these different ways. I'm not going to express my thoughts about myself to them. I'm just, but I'm still going to have a deep, meaningful relationship with them. And it's like, yes, you can. And it can actually get deeper and way better and more honest when you let them into those parts of yourself. And I'm, I see, I'm not perfect at it and I still struggle with it. But my partner is very similar to yours where he's, you know, he'll never like ever demand like, what are you thinking about yourself right now? Or like he'll never comment on like Mm. any weight fluctuations or anything. But I know that he's always there to hear me if I'm having a struggle with my body on a certain day. If I, if, you know, and I think that one, having a partner who's able to be open-minded and to be able to be patient and to be willing and to have their heart open to you, to hold you, like to ultimately hold space for you in that moment. Mm -hmm. So important. Like, oh my God, first off, yeah. First off, make sure that your partner is like a a goodie. Um, uh, But it's also about taking that plunge into vulnerability. Again, like with what you were saying about, you know, going through divorce, it's like, you, you follow your heart and like, you know, your heart deserves to be heard and it deserves to, you know, be cradled in someone else's hands and it deserves like your vulnerability. And it, it's so scary. That stuff is so scary. But your your account personally has helped me so much because you are so open about those types of things, like just like being with a partner and going through those steps. You're really good at, you know, opening yourself up online about that. And I know so many people will find that to be beneficial for them. And through opening up online, you know, your account, like you said, has grown so much in the last few years. And there are people that stay with you through that growth for the wrong reasons, the people that stay with you through that growth for the right reasons. And then people that you unfortunately like end up making enemies. Um, And I think a lot of listeners, they might be surprised or they might not be surprised. And this is again, something that I talked about with Megan, um, Body Posse Panda, that 
there can be a lot of competition between community leaders and there can be a lot of unfortunate hate. And it makes my heart hurt so much because it brings me back to the times when, you know, I was like physically and emotionally bullied. And it brings me back to like this time where it's like, guys, aren't we fighting for equality? Like, aren't Aren't we we doing for, aren't we on the same side? Yeah. I thought that we were all on the same side. Um, How do you deal with that? Like what happens? Like what's, what goes on in the bird's papaya's head when, um, when you see those types of things, because you are, and I've said this to you before and I'll, I'll freaking say it again, like until the cows come home, but like, you're the type of like best friend cheerleader that like everybody wants. Like you have always supported me no matter what, like you support so many people online. Like you're the definition of support. If I know that if I need something, if I have a question, a personal question, a business question, I message you and like, you're there. Oh yeah. You're there a hundred percent of the time. Not like 7% of the time, not 70% of the time, not 90% of the time. You're there a hundred percent of the time. So what happens if you go online and you're met with, you know, um, that type of indifference? I I think it's been hard. I've had, I really am like a bit of a ride or die type of person. And so I think it's hard. It's always been hard for me. I've had two really long-term friendships in real life, not social media ones that have ended over the years. and, And it was worse than divorce. I'll be completely honest. So friendships ending for me has been really, really hard because I just love people so much. But I also now understand that Sometimes it's right and it's honoring to to walk away from friendships because they were potentially done their chapter in your story or they started to turn toxic. And I keep wanting it to not happen. I don't understand it all the time. But I because I am such a cheerleader, but I'm still such a human being, too. I still experience feelings of jealousy. I still have to take my a step back sometimes and realize why I'm feeling uncomfortable about certain people's posts. But I've had... I've had people that I feel really close to straight up steal my work, like straight up copy, steal my work. It happened to me last week with two different people who shifted two words of my writing, two words out of like a paragraph and repost it and and tag me, but not credit me. So uh, then you see it and then you're just like, oh, it's just it just hurts because support is hard and it's we have to validate each other. But we are all, all on the same time. We don't need to be it's hard because we always feel like we have to show up thinking the next best thing or feeling that. And the fact is like, look at Brene Brown, for instance, she has an incredible book an incredible speech, but she regurgitates the same stuff over and over because it was just as important then as it is now. She doesn't need to constantly reinvent herself all the time. We don't have to have these massive stories or these big things happen and and have inventive thoughts every single day to be present and real and community builders online. But because there is that pressure, there's a lot of this feeling of, well, why her? Why does she get this? Why is she getting, you know, I'm doing the exact same thing as that person. Why am I not getting that same, you know, acclimates or attention and things like that? So it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting experiment because uh, like we said earlier, it's really hard to find people who are willing to stick with you. I always consider it like when I was in the weeds of life, there wasn't a lot of people in the dirt with me. But when the garden flourishes, who do you think that I'm handing the flowers to? Like there are the people who were in the dirt with me, not the people who come to just pick the flowers. And so true friendship, I think, has to be willing to love somebody at their winning points and at their losing points. And we always think that when we say that sentence, it's talking about people in their losing points. But when you exist in your life online, people think that everybody checks in on you. I can't tell you how many people I expected, like my birthday is a big deal to me. And I know that sounds really lame, but on my birthday this year, I had two separate people say, oh, I didn't say anything to you because I I knew you were going to get like bombarded with messages. And I was like, but my friends, like the people who, yes, like it doesn't matter how much is going on on social media or if you see me share that I'm feeling sick or I have a fever or, you know, I'm struggling with the kids that day. I might be sharing that openly online, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that it's answered all your questions to check in on me as a human being. And I'm always having to remind myself of that is like we have to be friends to each other and and hold up friendships beyond our social media. Like you and I have had private conversations that are way more meaningful than we'll ever share on social media because that actually perpetuates us into being better creators and being better community builders and supporting one another. 
It can get really, really hard when you felt true friendship with someone, when you've elevated their platforms, when you're sharing their work, when you're really backing them and suddenly they're just gone and you're like, we, that's why, that's why I think friendship dissolves are harder than divorce because there is no conversation at the end of it. It's often just done and gone. And as a creator, it just, they still get to keep up on you where they can, it's just a really complicated thing. And it's, and it's challenged me and it's actually rewarded me too, because I've really, when I think about it, I think a lot of people think I have like millions of friends and I I have an incredible community, but I have about like six good friends, like true friends Mm -hmm. who really know what's going on and are really willing to get into the dirt with me. Because even if I'm in the garden of flowers, you still got to get into the dirt. And like I said earlier, I'm an unstable person and that's an okay thing. I Mm -hmm. sometimes have really sad days and I need people then too. And I have really happy days and we need people then too. A lot of people aren't willing to celebrate with us in the good times like they are being there for us when the bad times. So true. The amount of times that people can disappear in celebratory moments is really sad. And I understand that it comes from a place of lack, like their heart hurts because their heart isn't full right now. I understand that. I get like really protective over my friends. So anytime that I've seen you be personally targeted or somebody come for you in like one of those ways where it's like... It was rough. Yeah. Like there was one... And and it, I was in Nashville at the time it happened, and I wasn't a, I wasn't the same person for 24 hours, and I missed out on experiences with my real life friends in front of me because one person chose to make fun of me online, like that somebody I thought was a friend to make fun of me online. It it sucks. It sucks. And you were one of the only ones who validated that it would suck. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. uh, it's really hard to find those friends who, you know, right now, I think in quarantine, how many people are like, how are you weekly check ins, like things like that, like just making sure that while we're while we're serving up entertainment and, you know, content every day, is our cup being filled? And and are we willing to like how many people are checking in on the nurses and doctors and you know, so many people mm-hmm. who are, are adopting in this world right now, um, we really have to check in on each other more than ever. Even if we see people online and what they're doing, if they're a friend, check in on them. Like really, I had a follower today that just wrote me and said, you know, I know that times are weird and I don't, I know you get a lot of messages, but I just wanted to tell you today that you are very appreciative and thank you for showing up every day. And I was like, you have no idea how rare that is. Like how rare it is to just no expectation, no reply needed just wanted to tell you I appreciate you. Thank you for showing up today. And I was like, sometimes people don't realize how much it takes to show up in a day. And I think I just really am starting to appreciate more and more the people who are willing to check in and and help me show up every day. Yeah, absolutely. I believe that it was Brianne. Yeah, I say her name right? Yes, Brianne. Okay, good. You have to rhyme it with um, peony because I said it Brioni for like two years until I said it. it in public and she was like, actually, it's Brianne. And I was like, <gasps> I can't imagine how many times that she has to correct people, but she made such an impactful post talking about when you are so connected with people online that there's often times you become a bystander. And and I think we're all guilty of this because it's almost as if we're seeing everyone kind of give their attention to this one person in, in, like you're, you think that everybody's giving their attention to this one person. And so you might not you might not comment, you might not check in on them, you might not celebrate with them, you might not, you know, whatever it is, because you're assuming that everybody else is doing it. And then nobody's doing it. The bystander effect. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that's such a really fantastic way that she put that. And I really want to hone in that, like, there are times where I am celebrating some, I mean, uh, times in the past, mostly I'm like pretty good now. I have like a solid group of friends Mm -hmm. now. Um, like my, my, my girlfriends online particularly, but there was times where when I, um, when, you know, when certain content goes viral and stuff and I would be so excited. And this was like in the early phases of me being an influencer and I'd be so excited and I would get nothing from anybody online except yeah. for like one person. Yeah. And I was like, 
oh, these people don't actually like me. Like the other influencers in this community, they don't actually like me. Like they don't like that I'm having success or they're just, they're not here for me in those ways. And then it wasn't until, you know, like I figured out who the good apples were and Mm -hmm. like I I figured out like who my friends were and who I really clicked with and stuff. And then I realized like, okay, I'm going to remember to like not be that person. I'm going to like try my best, which I can always try harder, but I'm going to try my best to just like be there for people and check in when like someone else is growing or when something else when something good happens because so oftentimes it seems like something is good and it is but there's all of these like negative effects that come with it that Mm -hmm. aren't talked about so Mm -hmm. like you know you had um you were talking about peaking at your career which again like I could listen to you talk all freaking day because you were talking about not defining yourself by your peaks but because like life isn't linear like it 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 does go up and down go up and down um but you were talking about, you know, being on on a cover of a magazine and like, wow, oh my goodness. And that is like such a big thing. And puts your name out there for trolls. It puts your name out yeah. there for hate comments. It puts your name yeah. out there for people who are really nasty and who don't like you for what you're standing up for and for what you yeah. represent and stuff. And like, that's the thing is that like, if you're not there for the person who's also getting all of the negative effects for those things, then like, you're not you're not a good friend. And, and you know what? It does make it harder and harder to speak. Speaking into the Brianne post about the bystander effect, she actually had to take that post down because she got bullied. Um, what? Yeah. So in the post, she referenced that the bystander effect was founded from an old example of a murder case where everybody thought that somebody called the police and hadn't. And so therefore this girl died. And she was relating that into, she just related it into why that was called the bystander effect, not that that related in any way contextually to what happens in the bystander effect now, which is where people, everyone assumes that everyone else is showing up for support when, you know, oftentimes nobody has because we've all assumed that. But because it referenced a murder, she ended up getting like she had to take it down because people really like just went after it. And it was really unfortunate because what happens when things like that happen And I think a lot of people who are creative, um, I've learned this also like with my nail artist, like she's an incredible, incredible artist. But when she gets trolled, like it, it emotionally affects her. And I think that that's I've learned now that that's a pretty common trait. I don't think that people who are creators are necessarily, quote unquote, stronger than other people. I think that they've learned to navigate um, pushing through those things. But it's really, really hard when we when we have things like that, when you put yourself out there, you are risking, you know, might will it one day be too much? And will I one day be at capacity and no longer able to speak? So it is truly if we believe in people and their messages, we have to hype them up. We have to remind them that there is a core group there for them. And not only that, if you like somebody's work and you want them to keep doing it, support that damn work because we all are benefiting from it for free out there in the world. So we have to really like have each other's backs in that whole world so that we can get paid eventually that we can, you know, understand that we have friendship there and support and that our words and our and our photos are of value and that we are of value and, you know, step offside that platform as well and check in with each other. I think it's I think it's incredibly incredibly important especially as things change and adapt and right now we're really really online and it takes things like um a phone call or you know, last week I just called my mom to say goodnight and I burst into tears. It was it was so meaningful because I didn't realize how badly I'd missed it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. Being there for each other, regardless if we think that other people are being there for them. Yeah. Regardless. Yeah. Like say happy birthday to your friends. Yeah. Just say, say it. Happy just, birthday. It's just a little, little like happy birthday with like one of those like cone exploding emojis. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like Get something, you know, like, <laughs> like just one I of those agree. little things. Um, I hear you, girl. And I feel like really lucky that you exist online and that you persevere through those moments and that you do have, you know, your six really good friends that are like your core humans that, you know, will be there for you. Dirt and flower time. Dirt and flowers. And, uh, such a good analogy. Thank you so much for being here today with us. Do you have any other last few words for people who are listening, who may be having like a tough day or a challenging time in their body? Just a couple of little words before you go. My favorite thing to always remind people of, and this goes into relationships or even just in any kind of context is remember the top five reasons why you love people. 
what it is that makes you respond to them or want them to be in your life. When you start to list off those top five things that you love about your partner or your friend or your mom or your child or your sibling, whoever it is, it is so rarely that we will land on their body shape or their looks or their hair or the, which shoes they're wearing. Those aren't the things that matter. And it always comes down to how they make us feel or their kindness or the way they love or their creativity. We have so much more to us than our bodies itself. And when we recognize why we love other people, we can start to understand why people can love us. And when we start to tap into who we are on those levels, we can start to accept how valuable we are into the lives of other people and start to build upon that quite confidently and allow ourselves that hug and touch and you know, affection and relationships that we so deserve because those other people are looking at us with a list of the top five things they love about us and our body didn't even land on the list. Ah, so good. Micah dropping at the end. (laughs) When I say that I can listen to you talk all day, girl, I mean it. (laughs) I'm here. I'm here. I like love, yeah. I'm here for another hour of this. I, um, I don't think everyone, I, I think that like everyone else will be really tired of having their earphones in their ears, but I know, right? you and I, we're, we're we could do in this, this all day. This is like run. literally what we're like when we get together too. It's like a nonstop. It's really hard. It's really hard to stop. We could so go good. on forever. Yeah. I, I love know, it. I know. I Endless thoughts. Um, and so everyone can find you online at the birds papaya, definitely on Instagram. Do you have any other uh, different usernames on any other platforms? Uh, or is just, it the birds papaya? No, it's just the birds papaya. You can find everything else from there. It's pretty easy. You can find the podcast from there. You can find the blog from there. Everything is there. So that's my wheelhouse. Come there and it'll give you the infos for the rest. Amazing. Thank you again, girl. Thank you.